it was at 45 I decided to apply for a doctorate. Um, I was terrified they wouldn't let me in um, and they let me in and then I was terrified uh, and wanted to get out. Um, so I quit after about six months. Um, at the same time I was doing the doctorate, I had a professional complaint come in um, from a very unwell client um, and that was a two and a half years of pretty much how there was lots of stalking behaviour and threatening stuff going on. May I introduce you to Mel? Mel has not had an easy life. From a very young age, she faced challenges and she might still from time to time. That's what's called being a human being. Now, there is a good ending to this story of Mel's, which means you do need to listen to the whole podcast and take all of it in. There are some hidden gems, some great ideas some understanding about why you might be struggling with some of your things in life too. So have a listen, see whether you can empathise and have compassion for Mel's story. And more importantly, what can you learn from it? Staying Alive UK. Share your story. Hi Mel, welcome to the Share Your Story podcast. How are you today? I'm well, thank you, and a little bit nervous <laughs> and a little bit tired because I'm menopausal. So, uh, but yeah, I'm here, I'm showing up, uh, and uh, I'm going to tell us a few stories by the sounds of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming. And you, you won't believe this. This is so interesting. I find that ever since. We went in lockdown, kind of beginning of March or twenty third of March. Mm. We went into lockdown. I've I've interviewed a few people, so my interviewing on the podcast has been quite quite low. Yeah, but I uh, you're going to be the fourth, if I can use a generic term, and you'll correct me later. But let's say a coach. Yeah. Um, I know you do a lot more than just coaching, yeah. but uh, which we'll get into that, but. A person who helps other people yeah. overcome some issues in their lives, for for example, whether it's business or personal, and really it's always really personal. Um, you're you're going to be the fourth one during this period, oh, wow. and I find that fascinating. I've never had like four people in a row that are all in a similar profession, and I'm actually delighted because it's a really important time for people to hear from you guys about what you can do to help them. But we will get into that in a bit more detail. So I will ask the first question that I ask everybody, and that is, can you tell us a little bit about you? So where were you born? Um, have you moved around but a bit about your education and move into your career? And then we'll get into the kind of current day uh, once you get through that. And over to you, Mel. Okay. Um, well, I think I was born in a hospital, but I don't actually have um, a cohesive story of my early years. Um, mm. That stuff wasn't shared with me. Um, I was born into a family with a mum and dad, an older sister who's two years older than me, and a twin sister. Um, and it um, it's not a really cohesive story in terms of there's, there's memories that are fractured but no 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 um 
nothing to hang it on, if that makes sense, in terms of, you know, there are memories, but I can tell you how old I was because it it just doesn't, it just, it's just not, it's just not remembered that way. Yes. Um, so I, I, I remember going to school um, and I remember not liking school very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in a constant state of terror. Um, uh, I had a mum, I think, who didn't cope so well with being a mum and being a parent. She had three children under the age of, um, uh, this is a two-year gap, so she had a two-year-old and then she had twins. Um, I think she had her own mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the most the memories I have are actually of, of uh, aren't fond ones of, uh, of being shouted at, of being in trouble, yes. of not getting it right. Um, I had difficulties, but um, I don't think they were ever spotted in terms of um, I struggled to write. Um, I struggled to uh, coordinate myself. I was a clumsy child. And right. so labels of clumsy and stupid were kind of dished out um i was regularly hit and sent to bed without dinner for getting for getting things wrong um and punished um and school wasn't much better for me because actually i i struggled to be in school um i struggled to write i can Mm -hmm. i I, i've talked about this quite a bit um in terms of my affair uh, love and hate affair with writing a lot of my work was ripped up in school Um, And I was made to stay in at break times and rewrite it. Um, It wasn't until, I need to skip forward and back, it's kind of plot spoiler, Um, but it wasn't until the age of 45 that I actually started to make sense, more sense of what makes Mal. Um, I put a lot of my difficulties into the trauma box because of my kind of abusive um, childhood. Right. but actually it wasn't only, it was only at 45 that I actually joined the neurodiverse club as well. Yes. Um, and so going back, um, I was constantly in and out of A&E um, with accidents, some of them um, accidents, some of them because I'd been running from my head. Um, I have, a li- I've never told anybody this. I've got a little scar here on my one eye where I was running from my mom and hit the coffee table and had my eyes split open. Mm. Um, I also have nappy scars on my hips from where my mom stuck the pins in me when she was putting the nappy on. Um, it's interesting you mentioned ma- uh, masks in our pre-talk about are we a mask wearer or mask wearer. Our past, history and present are inextricably linked. Mm. I've just learned to say that word, inextricably. That's I love really it, good. It's really <laughs> hard to say. Um, in, yeah, they're inextricably linked. So um, I'm having a lot of issues with masks. Um, and, and why do I hate having this thing over my face? Be- and it's because it takes me back to a childhood memory of having my mom's hands over my face. Mm. Um, I've survived being suffocated by her. Um, she, she, she didn't want me and she didn't want me. Uh, I think uh, there were attempts to get rid of me. Yeah. Um, I didn't find out till much later um, when um, an aunt um, intervened. Much later after I'd left home, I got some more stories about my history, that me and my twin sister were left in our pram um, and she'd come round and found us in our, in our pram um, and she had a sense that we'd been there a really long time. We were in wet and um, dirty nappies and she'd gone out. My mum had gone out and left us in our pram. So um, I think from really early on, um, there were 
signs of neglect, um, not not obvious signs of neglect. And I guess in, in the I was born in the 70s. I don't remember social services um, ever being mentioned. And so I think what happened in our home was kept secret as to what happened in our home. Yes. Um, and so um, um, there was always relief for me when my mum was out of the house. Um, my, my dad was a much softer um, character, but was bullied by my mum. And um, and so um, any punishments were on, his, on on her instruction. I think he just did as he was told. Sure. Um, and so, so it, yeah, it, was, it wasn't a great time for me growing up at all. And um, I think it's that lived experience of how it wires us up, how it fills us with shame, how it makes us kind of all these layers that are kind of, kind of projected onto us of who we are. And mm. um, we have these lovely sayings that it's a, um, it's, you know, you can't love yourself if you don't love anybody else. You, you know, you, you've got to love yourself before you love anybody else. And yes. to be fair, it's total horseshit. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, because we don't build a sense of self in isolation. We build a, a fractured sense of self that isn't so robust. And so actually um, this small child with, quite a lot of difficulties um uh was never I was never supported and so actually um I grew up with a sense of being really faulty yeah, yeah um, every, every, there was no I think if you've got a safe space at home but school's not so good it's not so bad if you've got a sp- safe space at you know in one home or school then you'll be okay for me yeah. there was not there was not there was neither um a, a safe space at home or school Right. Um, and so um, I, I kind of wonder how I survived, but I, the, the answer came from uh, uh, um, actually I would just lose myself in books. <laughs> mm. um, I would read lots and lots of stories and lots of books. Right. Um, I didn't have any friends because my mum would see them all off. Um, mm. um, there was really unhealthy dynamic going on with my sisters, um, which my mum didn't help with. I think we were all vying for our mum. Right. Um, and so we would all kind of, you know, sometimes my elder sister would be my friend and sometimes my twin sister would be my friend and other times nobody would be out, be anybody's friend. So it was it was a really unhealthy un, un, unhealthy kind of uh, dynamic to live in. Yeah. Some of my earlier memories that um, I've, I have told um, that kind of says this isn't kind of right was um, I remember we had a, a um, we lived in an old terraced house um, that had um, a... Uh, like a veranda to the kitchen and then the bathroom cold bathroom was out the back um, this old terrace house and our house was hit by lightning um and it was a it was the fork lightning and there was a fireball that conducted on our um tv aerial um i found this out from um somebody who 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 kind of described it that who lived across the road they saw what happened and so it, it hit the chimney and the chimney fell down through the first floor roof. And so we were just, our roof came in and we were just um, dug out of bricks. Yeah. Um, and I remember the fire brigade coming for us. And my mom was more interested in where her purse was. Mm. Yeah. Where's my purse? Not where are my babies? Mm. Um, so she really struggled. I, I, I think she also was a victim of, of, of a not good history and so she really struggled to attach to us and bond with us and love yes. us yes um and so there, there are all these kind of moments where 
um, I, I knew I wasn't I wasn't wanted and I wasn't loved and I wasn't cared for. And I think that some of those words stay with us. It's so hard to kind of peel them away. Mm. Um, uh, some of <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little checked. I'm here telling my story mm. with my voice, but for years I couldn't find it, and so um, I wouldn't speak up. Mm. I wouldn't show up. Mm. Um, and my mum used to say to me. Nobody loves an attention seeker, yeah, yeah, and um, and that was from like oh, about four or five. I can remember mm. dancing around on the mat, and I'd been a little ballerina, yeah. And she would just, you know, smoking her cigarette, she would just look at me with disgust and say these words: "Nobody loves an attention seeker." And so I would take my shaved little self off, mm. stuff down the tears. And go away. And so when you've got no safe adult, that's just not a really, really good place to be. No. And so, yeah, lots of those moments of, of feeling disconnected and shamed and not good enough mm. wires us up um, to yeah. not really trust people, um, to not feel very safe in the world. Mm. So in fact, it affects your entire outlook. Um, there's so many bits of trauma that we don't talk about. Um, I call it the dark side, my spiteful side, my jealous side, the part of me that thinks everybody's doing it better than me. Mm -hmm. And the part, and, and also it, um, the ability then to accept and ask for support because you don't really have any, any faith in people to mm. um, keep you safe. Yeah. And to look after you. Mm -hmm. So what happens in these early years really um, wires us up for survival, not to thrive. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, those early years. I'm going to skip forward a bit. I kind of, um, I had enough. I got to, um, I got to 16, um, and I walked out. Yeah. Um, I walked down the path with a carrier bag. I don't even know what was in that carrier bag. I just know I remember having a carrier bag with me. And I had got a job. I'd left at 16 and managed to get a job. And I went to work. Um, and I went to work um, and did my day's work. And then I went to the bus stop, got on the bus and um, rode the bus um, and uh, just literally sat under an archway uh, through the night because I didn't have anywhere to sleep. Mm -hmm. And um, this went on for, um, I can't remember whether it was weeks, um, uh, and then the boss of the place I was working at um, uh, had probably noticed that I was probably a bit unkempt because I didn't have the facilities to, you know, I probably wasn't very sweet smelling. I was probably starting to smell a bit. Mm. Um, and she, and I was at the bus stop. I always got the bus. Um, oh, God, I'm told this story. Um, I always got that bus. So nobody knew. Nobody knew I'd left home, but yeah. she knew. She knew something was up, and so she um, she stopped the car and she said to me, "Do you want to lift somewhere?" And I said, "No, I'm fine. Um, I'm fine." And she said, uh, "Let me uh, let me give you a lift somewhere." And I said, "No, no, it's fine. I'm fine. I'll get. I can get the bus." And she just said to me, "Get in the car." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, I better get in the car." So I got in the car, and she said to me, "What's going on?" And so I, I told her that I'd left home. Um, I couldn't be there any longer. Um, I, I had a sense that I was either going to kill her or she was going to kill me. Um, um, 
And so, um, yeah, I, 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 I disclosed to my boss that I'd left. And she said, you're coming home with me. And so I went home with her and she put me up on her sofa for quite a few months until we could find me a flat in a little bed sit to rent. Yeah. Um, I remember that my mum was really angry that I'd left. And I don't think she was angry that I'd left because I'd left her. But my dad was upset. I had been a, a bit of a daddy's girl, which had put me in a firing line. My mum was pathologically jealous. She couldn't yes. cope with relationships. She couldn't cope with the closeness that I had sometimes had with my, with my dad. And so um, um, my work had to field calls from my elder sister and my mom, who were making abusive phone calls to the office. Yeah. Um, and so they, they blocked the calls so that they couldn't get to me. Um, and so I lived with my boss for a little while. Um, until I got this this bedsit, which was pretty horrible. Um, but I remember cleaning the cooker, this old cooker, um, really grimy cooker, and I cleaned it within an inch of its life one Saturday morning, only to switch it on to find it didn't bloody work. <sighs> and so I ended up having another mum from the shitty landlord that I was renting on. Mm. But, um, I, I had a traumatic – I was there till I was about 19, and then – um, unfortunately, one evening I was in bed. Um, well, um, I'll, I'll rewind a bit, a bit more to this story. I had a, a boyfriend at the time and he'd gone home and I I woke up and thought, oh, I, I'm sure I heard somebody banging on my front door. Um, and, I'm, I, and I went to the front door and there was someone hammering on it. I thought, I'm not opening it. And whoever's there is really angry. And I left it and went back to bed. And I told my, um, my, my, my partner the next day and he'd said to me, are you sure you didn't dream it? And I said, well, I think it was real. Mm. Anyway, we found out later it was real because a few weeks later um, I came home to find my flat burgled. The The curtain was blowing out the side window where they'd smashed the window to get in and I, I'd been robbed. I didn't really have any, couldn't afford insurance, so it was kind of like what I had w w w was lost. Yeah. Um, I was determined I wasn't going to be seen out of my uh, little flat, so I went back and and and, uh, and tried to live there. But then, sadly, the third incident kind of finished it off. Um, I was in bed one night, about 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. I had a lounge door that squeaked, and I just heard this squeak of the lounge door. And um, um, with my heart beating out my chest, I thought, there's somebody in my flat. Mm. Um, and so I think there's no way to get out of how the flat, how my bedroom was positioned. And it was an old sash window that had been nailed down. So I, I wasn't able to exit. So I just thought I'll stay where I am. Yes. And I could hear, I went to the, uh, to the, to the bedroom door and thought, am I going to go out? And I was like, well, I don't know if there's two of them or three of them and what state they're in. And wow. so I just stayed where I was. Um, and I, I came probably about this close to whoever was raiding my flat because I could hear them breathing on the other side of the door. Yes. And so I just stayed where I was and then it went quiet and I was like, I need to get out of here. But I, but I was worried that they were still there and I didn't even know if they knew I was in the flat. So I hit the, um, I set my alarm clock off really loudly thinking, well, at least if that's going off, they'll, it may kind of send them off. Yeah. Anyway, I eventually opened the um, uh, the flat door and it was a mess. They'd ransacked the place. Um, the police think it was uh, the people, it was previous tenants and they'd ripped the 
um, cabinet at the bathroom and um, and tossed it into uh, tossed it into the shower, and he think they were they were either high or drunk and looking for drugs. Yeah. Um, and so um, I went out. Um, I had a, there was a phone box nearby, so I, I remember making a very babbled call to my partner who came over um, and literally scooped me up and took me back to his his place, which is how I moved from Birmingham to Wolverhampton. I went right. to live. Um, okay. Went to live with my um, my parents. Um, my, my my first partner's parents had a pub, and right. um, and so. They came back from Portugal to find me living at their place. Right. Um, and I lived with them for about a year until myself and that partner bought a house. Right. Um, the, that, that, um, that relationship lasted eight years. Um, we married after four and, 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 and managed another four. But it was, it was kind of weird when I look back at it because we never had any conversations about future. Right. Um, about whether we wanted children, about what we wanted out of our lives. I was 21 when I got married. Right. Um, maybe way too young and not really knowing who I was. Mm. But I was kind of sucked in by this family unit, I think, that had kind of looked after me. My yeah. in-laws were great. Um, but the relationship itself wasn't particularly healthy. I didn't see it at the time, but my my my, my first partner had his issues and he was... Um, controlling, but not in a nasty way, but in a very, um, what's the word, um, almost kind of not noticing way. In fact, it, it almost looked like he was looking after me, but it was it was actually babying me. If that made sense. Yes. Um, yeah. It fitted for a while to be taken care of, but I think as I grew, I didn't need that, and mm. so you get adult-child relationships, and so actually. He, he was suffocating me and he wasn't particularly always kind. Um, in some of his need for perfectionism, I was criticised. Mm. And so that relationship broke down and then I really spiralled. Um, and um, I, when people kind of fall apart at the end of a relationship, I absolutely get it because sometimes our attachments, um, our secure base yes. wasn't there in our early years. And for me, how I make sense of it is, this family had become my secure base and without them, I didn't know what to do. And I became so quite suicidal. Yeah, I moved out of my um, home, away from my dog, and um, I rented a small place, but I was so isolated and so lonely and so, uh, and quite depressed that I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't see a way forward. And I ended up um, attempting suicide. Mm. Um, thankfully, I didn't do a very good job of it because mm. what I, the, the, um, the alcohol and, and medication that I took um, actually um, gave me such a chronic, it didn't kill me, but it gave me the most um, chronic chest pains that I ended up calling an ambulance myself. I wasn't dying, but I was in pretty much a, a real agonising state. And so the paramedics came and um, I had to drink lots of charcoal. And, and, um, and, and then I had a bumpy through few years, really, of depression, anxiety, um, not really being able to write myself and really all the time thinking there's something wrong with me I'm you know I'm faulty rather than I've never really built the resilience the emotional resilience and the skills for life because yeah. my early childhood hadn't given me that I was bullied at work places mm. um, um, I ended up working 
chronically long hours in the need to please. Um, I have massive workaholic tendencies that are driven by that not good enough self that yes. led me to break down. And I was hospital. I was in and out of hospital a few times. Um, I think the worst was the, a, a psychiatric episode where um, I can remember sitting on a bench in the psychiatric hospital and there was somebody next to me who was having a conversation with, a, you know, a completely lucid conversation with the wall. Mm. And I thought, what the hell am I doing in here? Yeah. And, um, and I checked, I checked out and, uh, um, and, and they, they released me, but um, they said, you, you know, you'll need support. And so I remember working with a, my first therapist um, who um, helped me realize that just because I hadn't done stuff didn't mean that I uh, that, that I didn't have the skills. For, I remember sitting crying in the therapy room saying, I don't know how to use the lawnmower. Um, I don't know where to pay the bills because I eventually um, realized that um, I didn't need to be in this little box flat um, away from my dog. And so I actually went back home to my house and said to my uh, a strange partner, can you move out? Um, this is where I need to be. Um, my my neighbours are here. My dog's here. You have um, a mom and dad that you can go back to. So he kind of, it was quite amicable. So he kind of said, well, yeah, I can do that. He knew I, I hadn't been well. Mm. And so he moved out and I took over the house that I'm still in. <laughs> I'm oh, still wow. in. Oh, yeah. Um, so I've had it since I was 19. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm kind of snapshotting a massive yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. kind of history here. Thank um, you. Yeah. Wow. So um so you're more settled where you are now. <laughs> I'm on a second marriage, which I've been in twenty well, I've been I've been we've been in a relationship for twenty years. Great. Um I'm still in the same house. I have amazing neighbours. Um who are, I guess, a bit surrogate family for me. Yeah. Um, and a close handful of friends that um, are supportive. Yes. Um, and um, I went back to school at 29 um, and uh, I left, I jumped off the career ladder at um, around 30. I, I built my way up into quite, um, quite high IT uh, roles, but I was dying inside really um in terms of um it didn't float my boat um I just had this sense that there has to be more to life than this I knew it was killing me um I was selling my soul for a salary and so with the help of my partner I jumped off the career ladder and I went to Sri Lanka I I took a three-month sabbatical um uh took a mortgage holiday um, left my partner with the dog and said, I've, I've never had, I never, I've never not worked. And so I took three months out, went to Sri Lanka, fed the elephants, uh, bombed around a bit, worked for a volunteer charity that wasn't the greatest. Mm. Um, and then when I came back from Sri Lanka, my partner uh, proposed, um, asked me if I would marry him. I said I'd never marry anyone again, but, you know, we always say never in the in the midst of crisis. Yes, of course. Um, so I did marry him. And this time was different because the first time um, we ran away and got married, we got married in Vegas right. um, because I didn't want the family. Um, I didn't have family to be there because it was no, estranged from, my, from mine. So we got married abroad. Well, this time I had a, 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 um, a civil 
kind of wedding so that there were friends there there were neighbors there mm. so it's a mm. much nicer affair yeah um and because I got married abroad it felt like my first wedding even though it was my second yeah um and um I I kind of when I came back from Sri Lanka I started temping and I was like I didn't really know what I wanted to do it was weird because I had a sense that I wanted to work with people but I don't even like people a lot of people I can be no. quite suspicious and mistrustful and so um, uh, from, from, from history but I actually was temping and this company rang up and I asked who they were and he said oh we help people get jobs and I was like well I'm good at application forms and I always get the job so I wrote to them and said could I go and work for them as a job coach and they said yes so I worked for them for a while and then I got headhunted to work for Connections as a mentor and then I went to work in the um, Winds and Green prison with chronic um, drug and alcohol users. Mm. And um, and then the common denominator for, for, for working with all of those clients was their mental health histories and trauma. Yes. And, and so all these people that are kind of blamed as being lazy or, um, uh, or dysfunctional, whatever la- words and labels you want to put on them, yeah. had abuse histories. Yes. And so I didn't really know what to say. So I thought, I'll go on an introductory course and they'll teach me what to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how wrong could I be? But how, however, the 10-week course fascinated me. Mm. And so I found myself signing up for another year um, diploma in counselling skills, which I thought would help me be a better drugs worker and youth worker. And it wasn't until I I'd signed up for the next course um, in a trio of courses um, that I was coming close to qualifying as a counsellor and I'd started to do placements with connections that my partner had said we were refurbing my uh, our little house. And he said to me, why are we putting a bed in there? Shouldn't we put chairs in there if you're going to be a counsellor? Mm. It wasn't until that moment that the penny dropped that that's what I was going to be, um, wow. that I was going to become a counsellor. I said I'd never worked with children and that's and, and actually – my clients just kept getting younger and younger right. and um, and my, and my um, clinical supervisor was like Mal you don't know how to play and so um, I um, I was turned down for the course that I wanted to do they told me I wasn't academic enough right. and so having remortgaged the house to find the fees for it having shuffled work to find the day off for for the course driving I remember driving home it was the Sherwood Institute in Nottingham I remember driving home from there in absolute floods of tears not being feeling good enough because they wouldn't let me in Mm -hmm. so I spent my money on a play therapy course um, which happened to be exactly what I needed Um, not what I wanted yeah sometimes not getting what you want can be an enormous stroke of luck Mm. Um, and it took me in a completely different direction and so I studied play therapy and then having worked with adults and children, I then went on to study systemic and family therapy yes. um, for a couple of years. And all of this wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for my husband. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. But also none of it would have been possible. And I know it's not nice to think this way. But it is true of the experiences that you've had, right? Absolutely. So because you in your role with counselling and the clients that you have who have similar experiences, 
you are coming from a place of complete empathy in terms of understanding, you know, having lived through so many different challenges. Absolutely. As a young, you know, child, baby, from, a, from being a baby to a young adult and, you know, other events that have taken place in your life. So, and that, that is really important, I think, because if anybody who's doing, you know, you can go and learn the skills to help people with counselling or coaching or mentoring or anything like that. But you, you will only come from a point of, well, the theory says this, you know, but if you've lived through a lot of these things, yeah. and although it may not be exactly the same thing that your clients might be experiencing or having gone through themselves, it is still a human um, crisis, let's say, Yeah, that you can relate to and understand. Yeah, um, most therapists' training is inadequate. I'm going to say that, having done nine, ten years and still studying, still learning. I've been to yes. Italy to study with Bessel van der Kott. I've been to New York to study with Esther Perel, who's one of my favourite relational therapists. Um, that, but, but that lived experience, you know, um, most therapists probably wouldn't say to a client, do you wet yourself? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, those questions I will ask because trauma, the, the symptoms of trauma might be that you've wet yourself. Mm. They may be that you have flashbacks, nightmares, that sometimes you disassociate and you don't know where you are. Yeah. Um, and so to be able to know that from your own lived experience um, yes. makes you ask a very different set of questions. And you're absolutely right. You can learn so much from the books but I don't think there's anything um, that kind of beats that kind of lived experience that we didn't really ask for, but actually that pot of shit turns into a pot of gold, um, yeah. not without its struggles. As I said, my husband um, has helped me write every single essay I've ever written because I don't write, but although I love reading, I, my comprehension isn't great. Mm. Um, and I didn't find out until it was at 45 I decided to apply for a doctorate. Um, I was terrified they wouldn't let me in um, and they let me in and then I was terrified uh, and wanted to get out. Um, so I quit after about six months. Um, at the same time I was doing the doctorate, I had a professional complaint come in um, from a very unwell client um, and that was a two and a half years of pretty much how there was lots of stalking behaviour and threatening stuff going on. Um, I went through the complaint um, there was 54 complaints made against me. Four of them were upheld. And so if, you, if, if you're if you found deemed in any way imperfect, um, our regulator stamped you as negligent. So yeah. I wrote essays and essays and essays about what I'd learned about working with um, that particular client. And I was mm. commended for writing uh, and the amount of learning that I demonstrated. Um, and so I had to kind of pick myself up from that. So I, um, I quit the doctorate because I couldn't do the two at the same time. Awesome. And naturally I had a sense that something, um, that something wasn't right. And, and so I was eventually tested and um, I was diagnosed as dyspraxic, dyslexic with complex uh, processing disorder. And um, my short-term memory is about 50% below what it should be. 
Right. So all these things that I thought that were, I've been to A&E 45 times. I fall over my own feet. I fall off a horse. I've fallen off a bike. I've fallen off a boat. Um, um, and so the clumsiness was uh, replaced with dyspraxia right. and the inability to process and put things together coherently yeah. um, um, is part of the, the dyslexia. So, yeah, um, I, I, I had some updates later on. But um, all said and done, I have a thriving little practice um, here in Wolverhampton um, and I'm quite passionate. I've been all around the world. I've photographed polar bears. I've been to see the orangutans in Borneo. I've had hot air balloon rides, helicopters into Monaco. Um, so even despite that kind of early neglect um, and abusive childhood, I've, I, I'm really thriving. Really, <laughs> menopause, menopause symptoms aside, yes. um, and lockdown. Um, yeah, I think Mal's done more than okay. <laughs> you definitely have done more than okay, and you're definitely good enough uh, in every single respect. And so, tell us uh, then a little bit more detail about your your business, and um, you know the kind of clients that you're working with, the kind of, you know, uh, what kind of clients would you like more of? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so people that are listening to this, they can they can relate. They obviously can relate to you by yeah. now, but they may go, All right, I've got this particular issue and I need to speak to somebody. Yeah. So just so wax lyrical about your business. Yeah, now. I'm a little bit of a bugger because you're supposed to niche, but I I haven't. I refuse okay. to niche. Um, no, I think um, that's good. And um, it's not good in terms of marketing because if you niche, then you're talking to one client group, like you're talking to couples. But I'm, uh, and so niching is good for marketing. So I don't do myself any favors, but I'm just not not picky enough to niche. Right. So, so so let me reframe that for you. Yeah. Let me reframe that for you. I think the trouble with marketing speak about niching and going, you really need to know the persona that you're after, you know, and what are their issues and how are you going to solve their issues and, and relate to them specifically. But it's in it's understandable when you've got a physical product that you're aiming at somebody. It might not be physical. It might be a service, right? But when it comes to counselling or coaching or mentoring or anything like that, the product is the human being, right? Absolutely. And the human being has such a complex amount of intricate kind of issues yeah. going on that that actually who you're targeting is a human being. That's, That's it. exactly it. And it's not even age specific with me because I've trained in different modalities. So my client range is bare, my client range varies. Brilliant. Um, it could be I've supported a family whose mum had cancer. Sadly she she died last year. So I've been supporting um um post pre and post cancer um with terminal illness. Mm. I've supported people with work related stress who come mm. through their insurance companies. I'm registered with all the major insurers. Yeah. Um, I have a, a small contract with a foster care agency 
And so I support their um, foster parents and foster families mm. with behavioural issues oh, um, gosh, that are often yeah. emotional issues that translate into mm. uh, behavioural stuff. Mm. Um, I've supported couples that are um, having difficulties in their relationships um, to communicate and you know we're not we're, we're not we're not taught to tune into each other emotionally mm. we often get into negative patterns of communicating like you never you never you never and Esther Perel says behind behind every criticism is an unexpressed wish so for me it's about helping clients to understand who they are accept mm. themselves and to really understand their interneurobiology so I'm a bit of a super therapist. I've had clients say to me, I've learned more in one hour with you than I have in 30 hours of working with somebody else. And that's mm. because I'm a little CPD junkie. And I can tell you that your Barocca region closes wow. down when you're terrified. And so you can't access your thinking brain. You won't be able to remember. You won't have a sex drive. You won't have an appetite. We go into power saving mode mm. in these kind of stressful, uh, kind of hypervigilant or or kind of disassociated states. So when you can normalise this for somebody, when they come to me and say, I'm going mad, and I'm saying, no, this is trauma because you were burgled and you can't sleep and the lack of sleep is affecting your, your mental health so we can prioritise what we need to work on. Mm-hmm. And under the, the, the kind of the layer underneath all of that is often relational trauma of what's your relationship with yourself like? Mm. Um, because if you don't have a good relationship with yourself, you tend to end up in sabotaging behaviours. We hit the bucket button and we drink too much or we're, we're in those all or nothing patterns and we can't find that middle ground. That's because the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, mm. your timekeeper, may not have developed properly. And so actually we drop into the lower kind of fight uh, flight survival brain we can't see past, present, or future. We can't problem solve, mm. and we can't get out of those that place. That's that's trauma in a nutshell. And so we're not just listening to people. We're helping them build new neural pathways, helping them to heal, mm. and giving them the skills to of compassion and gratitude, so that they can show up in their own form, in their own way, and nail it. Um, I I have so many hang-ups about being professional and being neat and tidy. And actually, I'm kind of slowly tossing those out the window and saying, I'm a bit of a messy things tied up with silly string, but still valuable, still useful, mm. and more than enough. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's a really great bit of summary. Um, I love it. And, and, I want to just pick on one little thing, if if you don't mind, and that is you just mentioned something about creating new neural pathways. And correct me if I'm wrong, but these neural pathways need to be hardwired at some stage. So you need to practice it over and over again so it becomes a new habit. You need new limbic experiences. We could do another three hours, Michael. Yes, um, yes, yes. Um, and I'm just aware, hold on. I forgot my laptop plug is here and I haven't got it in. So hold on. There we go. We're safe. Yeah, yeah. Um, good, good. 85% of your neural pathways are built in the first three years of life. Yes. But we have brains that have a plasticity to, to them. Yes. We have all these systems in our bodies, our vestibule system, um, 
all these different systems have to coordinate to work in order for us to thrive. Mm. And so if they don't work, like I, I probably missed some of the crawling stage because of the amount of time I was left in my cart. Right. So I'm reading at the moment, is the is it are my wrists floppy and unable to hold very weight very well because I'm dyspraxic or is it trauma because they were never strengthened in those early years? Right. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, the, the the ability to rewire, we have to, un, some of us have to unlearn fear. Yeah. There's an unlearning and a relearning and change is actually a much more complicated process than most people will have you believe. Mm-hmm. We, we It pisses me off immensely, all these books that simplify what can be quite complicated. Mm. And also um, when we're looking at trauma, we're not do- dealing with fear. We're dealing with terror. Mm. We're dealing with nothing in my body is working. I cannot breathe. I've wet myself. I'm having a panic attack. I feel sick. I need to run. I'm crying all at the same time. That all happened to me the first time I took the mic mm. for a, um, uh, a, a um, an open mic night. I decided to show up and take the microphone. Yes. And I didn't quite wet myself, but I, I had to work so hard to not have a panic attack. Yeah. And I had to stand in front of that mic with all those eyes staring at me and go, oh, my God, I'm not sure I can do this. And I was just able to utter the words and name it. I'm terrified. Yeah. And I managed to do the poem, um, a stuttery old poem. They're on YouTube if you want to watch them. Yeah. I, like, I, like, I like to overshare. Um, Good. And so we, um, Rachel Yahada, the epigenetic, epigenetics lady, tells me we are, ma- we are weapons of mass reconstruction. Ooh. And so... We I know what a what a gorgeous line. Yes. Um, it was worth going to the conference just for that line in itself. By the age of 50, we'll have none of our original brain cells. Wow. So we can eat, we can exercise, we hug, we have sex, they all but we run, they all build new brain cells. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And when we when we reduce our stress. We, should, we have these little things called telomeres. They're yes. like the ends on bootstrings on your, on your laces, but mm. they're strands of your DNA. Mm. And we lengthen those when we reduce stress. Right. We put less stress on our uh, kind of adrenal system mm. when, we're, when we're not stressed because ad- adre- ad- adrenaline comes from your renal system. Yeah. So stress makes us sick. Yeah. 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 So... So re having rewired, it, you know, some of those or the reconstruction, weapons of mass reconstruction, I love that, um, allows us and the, and the brain plasticity, nothing's impossible, basically. You know, no, we, well, we can, and I think it's rewiring because yes. I think we are all constant works in progress. Things happen mm. in our life. We, people say, no, oh, I've done the work. It kind of suggests ignorance we're doing the work and we're constantly doing the work because shit happens and we Mm. have to keep recovering. But you get to a point where you have a, maybe a more trust in yourself, trust in a few other um, individuals that you can get through. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, so this word trust has come up quite a bit, hasn't it? And it's, I think there is, there is a massive bit about trusting yourself. Um, yeah. To begin with, let alone everybody else. 
I mean, it, I think it's, it, it's yeah, it, it's so multifaceted. Uh, mm. Brené Brown's got a lovely seven aspects of trust, which I absolutely love. It's a yes. good framework. I'll pop yeah. it on LinkedIn maybe and share it. Um, mm. And yeah, the ability to trust yourself, um, to trust your body. Uh, mm. When I took that microphone, I knew that I was, you know, the shame would just come up. You know, yes. my mother's words of "no one loves an attention seeker" was wow. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so here, here I am, wobbly Mel turning up to read a bloody poem. And, I'm, and Mel doesn't just choose, you know, somebody else's poem. Mel chooses something that's come straight out of her heart and is so bloody vulnerable. Um, mm. my, one of my friends said, you don't do things by halves. You mm. always call yourself half-hearted, but it's so full-hearted. Um, mm. And so, yeah. Wholehearted. Um, the wholehearted. Yeah. Whole and so the ability to trust our own bodies ability to trust ourselves and the ability to tolerate the jackasses out there that kind of, you know, um, we haven't even got into gender and being a woman and we're not allowed to swear. We're not allowed to be angry. We're supposed to be kind and polite. I'm going to swear, Michael. Fuck all of that. Mm. Um, Yeah. So I think there's so much layers of conditioning that we almost have to wriggle out of our straight jackets to be ourselves. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's massive. Yeah. And we we're just only, you know, scratching the surface of it. And yeah, my my fellow brothers, I get disappointed by them every single day, I have to say. Um, I don't even want to call them my fellow brothers sometimes. Um, brilliant. I, I love the kind of, you know, the your, your thinking is very unusual, very aligned with the way my, my wife and I think in terms of you know, and it sounds as well that apart from having learned, you know, having done the courses and everything else that you've done, it's it definitely sounds like you're kind of, you know, a long life learner that you're grabbing things from other areas and blending it in with the knowledge pull, that you've yeah, learned I as well. Yeah, I from so many theories and my own life experience. And I, I'm growing and I think one of my clients... Um, put a recommendation on LinkedIn and it said, Mal's a master of her craft and has the most insatiable thirst for life. And mm. that's that's so true. I don't have a thirst for a big house in the swimming pool. I'm still living in the same house I had at 19. Mm. But what I do have is a massive now um, adventurer, explorer that mm. wants to have experiences and, and try everything out and visit new continents and ride in hot air balloons and eat fish and chips and watch the sunset. We're all programmed that we need more time and more money. Um, but yes. Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections, really sums it up. It's that loss of connection to ourselves and to other people that causes the misery. Well, we yeah. already know that we know that money doesn't create happiness. You know, it's no. been proven over and over and over again. But the world has programmed us, society has programmed us. Is that's the only way you're going to be good enough? We in place society. too much value on the materialistic. You know, people yeah. who say money doesn't matter are generally middle class people with money. So I'm going to put a a, a, a massive criterion because it certainly mattered when I didn't have a pound for the electricity meter and I couldn't yes. eat. Yes. Um, so be, but beyond a point, it, it 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 really is about 
What do you bring to this world? What am my, it's taught me ages to realise that, you know, my silly poems, my photography, mm. Mal showing up and saying, you're rooting for other people. Mm. They're my gifts to the world. Yes. As messy and as, 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 as kind of, I'm very organised, but also very chaotic. That's the dyslexia kind of, and the complex processing means that I have like five pairs of sunglasses because we can, we can, sometimes we can't find any. But it also means even if you're saying there is one part that is is disorganized and there's another part that is organized, that means there is balance. Yeah. Do you know I, what I'm I mean? Or, I'm organized, but what happened? It took me a long time. The neurodiversity answered a lot of questions. I'm I'm chronically organized because that's how you know too much uncertainty, and, and I get in a state. So I'm kind of like, have I got my link? What am I doing? I've just got a, I've just got Lisa, as you know, my VA. So um, um, knowing what's in my day and, and knowing what, what I've got to do, I know how long, I, know, I even know I'm super time efficient. I know how long my washing machine takes. Um, but what happens with the neurodiversity is um, I'll, I'll misread stuff. So I missed a plane once because I mixed up the takeoff and the check-in time. Um, and so small Same errors, <laughs> small errors, can 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 spin me but what i used to do was get very ashamed ashamed about that and then having to come out of the shitty shame bucket mm. uh, would take a long time whereas now um i hold my robust and vulnerable self in the same body so i can i can be i can sit in a sense i can flip my negatives and that's a, a sense of being able to go oh pull me what about me but i can also then come back to a centered place breathe know that it's it's human and not faulty to feel. Mm. And then I can say, what am I grateful for? Yeah. And the 100%. And, you know, we've, I've been reframing missing a plane as a gift, right? So quick story. We've got a little bit of time. Whilst I'm sharing this story, you have a think about all the um, kind of web links you need to share with us. But... Um, <laughs> So I was at I was at Hong Kong airport. I'd been there for a few weeks, and uh, went to the check-in counter. I checked my suitcases in, like way far away from the airport, at like the tube. You know, you can check yeah. your suitcases in. Went about my day, and my flight on that day was at uh, five minutes past midnight. Right, so I got to the check-in. Now. Listen to what I just said. On that day, my flight was at five minutes past midnight. So I went to the airport early evening, got to the checkout. They looked at my ticket, said, sir, you've, you've missed your flight. I said, well, it's not until five past midnight. No, no. Five past midnight today was earlier this morning. Yeah. Of course. I totally misread the time. Right. Yeah. So I laughed and I said it was a gift out loud in the queue i went oh my god i laughed i said it was a gift everybody behind me thought this guy's mad uh, they said oh can we have your passport please I said, yeah sure i have my passport they went into some back room i went now nah, i'm in big trouble and um anyway they came out called me up to the desk again and gave me a new ticket for a flight at about 11 o'clock that evening and didn't charge me wow so Sometimes when you call things a gift, even though in the present time yeah, and in that moment, 
it's the worst thing possible. It doesn't feel like a gift, does it? But, it doesn't um, feel like a gift. But I've it... got a. I throw in plot twist. This is a plot twist. Oh, um, nice! <laughs> it's a plot twist. And oh what me God. and my friend actually did was we're like, you know what? Let's just go on holiday anyway. So we cashed a traveller's check in and went to the bar and had some cocktails. And we ended up chatting to the cabin crew who'd come off a shift who were all in the bar and ended up having a really nice party. There evening. you go. But was like the next morning. Yeah. Oh, I, I did leave my passport though in uh, 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 on a seat and somebody picked it up and took it to security. So they phoned my sister to say uh, we found her passport in the airport. She was very cross with me for being drunk in the airport. Right, right, right. Yeah, but, yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, uh, so it's a plot twist. It doesn't it's a it plot feel twist. the worst thing in the world in that moment moment but when we can reflect later yeah um often things that feel the end of the world really aren't yeah no, no, yeah they just no. feel it in that moment and it's back to that dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex yes. the overwhelming now that yes. i can't i don't have the the skill set to get out of mm. the wiring the wiring to not kind of topple over yeah 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 so that's interesting that you use that word topple isn't it because you talked about your 45 trips to A&E. Yeah. Um, that... I often use the word collapse as well. We collapse into shame. You know, mm. when we've done something that we shouldn't have done or we've upset somebody, we tend to, if we've got a quite, if we've had a lot of shame in our history, um, uh, we, there's two, uh, kind of, I call it two super highways, the sad mm. and the mad. Mm. And a lot of us, particularly women, I think are wired up for sad. Oh my God, I've upset somebody. And actually what, um, finding our mad is more healthy because you know when someone's been a, a, an idiot we can actually say bugger off yeah mm. you don't mean anything to me bugger off mm. you don't get to judge me I know who I am yeah well enough to know that your assessment of me is based on one comment you can That's jog right. on you can yeah. jog on but it's yeah. taken me half a lifetime to feel strong enough to be able to sit in my own self and say off you go <laughs> yeah mm. I've been reading a uh, uh, um, I can't pronounce her surname. There's a, a lovely feminist named Mona. She's Egyptian-American. She writ the seven deadly sins that women need to, to kind of succeed. Yes. And they are profanity and they are um, anger. And that actually we don't get anywhere by just being nice and polite. Mm. Sometimes it's okay to say, F off. Yeah. 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 If, if somebody's somebody was really pushing my boundaries and 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 actually i didn't like that what they were saying and the first time ever on, on linkedin i just said f off and somebody mm. said there's no need for that i said there's absolutely every need for it mm. i've stated my case i've i've stated my boundaries and the minute someone else oversteps them i have every right to use whatever language i want to if you aren't hearing me to get my point across mm. and people don't like that the world is not ready for gobby women but I'm not shutting up now. I've spent a lot of money in therapy finding my voice and it's still a bit shaky, but yeah. it's here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's faster, you know. I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Dutchman, so I'm fairly straight in terms of, you know, my opinion about yeah. things, which people don't, because it's just faster, you know. I'll just yeah. say it how I see it. Yeah. And it may be offensive to somebody. I mean... The part of the problem in I shouldn't make a blanket statement because it's, it's not a very true. British. Uh, let's let's bring in culture 
British. It's very British to be polite and very yes. well spoken and to be yes. all nice and tidy. Yes. And it's very I love Americans for their directness and their kind of out yes. there. Um, and there so is a balance because the Americans go a bit over the top as well. Do. Yeah, yeah, they can do. Um, and so we can bring in gender and we can bring in cultural influences. Um, yes. You know, when, when I'm in when, when I'm in Mexico, I'm like cursing the Americans because they're. I can't hear myself think because the restaurant's full of them and the volume is like, oh, my God, why are they so loud? And my, and my partner laughs at me and says, we're British. Maybe we're really quiet. And I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah good yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, I went on a, on a, on a course. Well, I worked for a Japanese company and they, their English isn't, in the company wasn't that good. There were only a few Japanese people, but they all put even the Westerners in the company on a course the senior team to learn about cultural differences. Yeah. You know? So how do you go? There's no word in Japanese for no, apparently. Um, but one of the things we learned in the course is how people make decisions, all the, all the different cultures, how they make decisions. And I learned a lot about, you know, the Brits, the Americans, the Dutch, the Germans, the French, the Spanish, the Japanese, the Chinese, you know, how they all make decisions, whether, they make them fast or, you know, don't say no or, you know, make a decision too quickly like the Americans, like, OK, go, you know, we're going to war. Yeah. Let's just do it type of thing. And the Brits kind of go around the houses a lot um, and they described it as we're going around the hedge. and We'll just keep yeah. walking around the hedge, but the hedge needs cutting. And we'll just keep looking at the hedge and going. Mm, today I'm not so sure if it needs cutting yet, you know. So we'll just keep walking around it until we think it's bad yeah. enough, and then we'll cut it. And there's nothing work clearly. No, a, a kind of foggy leadership is not useful as we've seen recently. No, no, yeah, and yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think that this period of time that we're in with COVID is showing up the leadership um, failures around the world. You know, so the one that I'm holding up and holding on to. And I just wish, I'm hoping she's not going to fall down at any stage. Is New Zealand? New Zealand, of course. I knew you, yeah, Jacinda. Yeah. Jacinda. Yeah. I mean, a woman. Yeah. She's what amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it's also my favourite country in the world. I've only been once and it's like the most beautiful country in the world for me. I haven't and got there yet. I've been to Australia twice. Once was an emergency mission to fetch somebody who was very unwell mm. and bring her home. So I wouldn't recommend going to Australia and back in a week. It's exhausting. Oh, my God. Um, but New Zealand um, is definitely on my list. Yeah. I've highly, highly recommended. I've snookered need... myself. I've got two traumatised doggies that I don't have any dog care for at the moment. So I can't travel anywhere. Well, I can travel on my own, but myself and my partner can't go anywhere together because we don't have dog care yet we've got some <gasps> rehab work to do first oh wow. <laughs> wow 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 okay so you're right we could speak for hours on this the various topics and i just have one really really quick question and that Thanks is perhaps you could help people with some advice and maybe one or two tips so obviously period that we're going through is a very stressful period with COVID, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it. And there's lots of stresses that people are yeah. finding themselves in, whether it's homeschooling children, whether it's work, whether it's being stuck in Spain, being, you know, go, having to quarantine, um, not getting travel insurance, whatever it might be. And there's so many 
so many stresses and challenges for people. How do they deal with it, Mel? I think I can only say how I deal with it and hope it helps. Um, um, I think, A, we have to sometimes shut off the noise because it's overwhelming. Um, if you if, if all the media attention um, can have us think that the world has gone to shit in a handbasket and maybe we're right, but it's too overwhelming. And so actually shutting that down for a little bit and just going into your garden and checking on your tomatoes if you've garden, reading a book. Mm. Um, a lot of people will struggle to concentrate if they're agitated and anxious. So it's a, maybe about focusing on uh, some breathing, calming down our central nervous systems, drawing a really big crayon around yourself and dis uh, in a bubble and deciding what you let in and what you keep out so you stay well. I also think it's very much about what fits for you. We get so caught up in everybody else's, um, you know, everybody else is doing it better than me. I've seen so much horrible stuff about you're, you're a selfish asshole if you don't wear a mask. Mm. Um, I don't wear a mask, but then I don't actually go to the store because I don't want to be the selfish ass asshole that's not wearing a mask. So actually I choose not to, not to go to the store. Mm. Um, so let's be less judgy of other people and less judgy of ourselves. Mm. And whatever you need to do to feel safe and to survive or thrive is okay. It, mm. It's not about, you know, how I do it isn't going to be how she does it over there or he does it over there. So, you know, if you're ready to go out in the world and wear your mask and, and pick up and life feels more normal for you, that's great. But yeah. be respectful of the people who are maybe further behind and aren't ready to go out there. Maybe for good reason. I've had some pressure to open up my therapy room again. And I've said, no, I'm not ready. No. My partner's asthmatic. Um, I don't want to. I'm staying online for now. And, yeah. and that's a decision that I choose to make that keeps me safe yeah. and me well. And so it's about us really working with our own thresholds of what is useful for us. I have a really um, useful saying where I think it's useful, when the going gets tough, the self-care has to go way off. Yeah. Right. And, the, and the expectations for ourselves may have to go lower. I was on a call with about 18 head teachers, which scared the pants off me. I'm like, oh, head teachers. Um, <laughs> and they were all saying they were, they were exhausted by fatigue the Zoom calls are exhausting. Mm. Um, there's so much more work to do. And they didn't feel they could take care of their mental health. And I said to them, it's not a choice because um, I know what it's like to be in psychiatric trying to repair. You know, do you want six months in psychiatric? Because that shit happens. And so um, kind of prevention is so much better than cure. Right. Um, you have to look after yourself. It may be about conversations with other people. Reach out to, don't sit in silence either. If you can trust somebody else, um, talk about it. Yeah. Um, it's it'll normalise it. It will make you feel less alone. I know that's not easy. I've I've been, um, I've decided to come out about menopause symptoms rather than suffer in silence. And it's actually been such a normalizing experience to other people say, yes, it's pants too. And have you tried this or what about that? Mm. So I think, yeah, um, all of us um, need to take care of ourselves and do what fits for us and, yes. and, 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 and be less judgy about why someone, you don't know why. I and mean, I've shared quite openly why I don't like having things over my face. Mm. I could absolutely do it if it was life or death, but I don't want to. So I choose not to. Sure. And so it's, you know, the judgments at the moment, I think 
Um, I heard somebody say, you know, I saw somebody, I, I really wanted to spit, but I it was like, just, just rise above it. Somebody saying, you know, oh, these idiots have gone to Spain and have the quarantine. They went to Spain and somebody changed the rules. That's not actually their fault. No, there's... And so people are, are really hurting at the moment and they're really struggling. And so this all, you know, we can either react or we can respond. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so the reactions are projections of our pain. Oh, well, it's all right for these people who can afford to go on holiday. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're moaning about having to work from home. There's loads of people who can't work from home. So whatever you say at the moment, your chances are <laughs> mm. somebody somewhere might be triggered by it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. The, the pain the, points are just constantly moving around for mm, everyone. Mm, yeah. Yeah, 100%. That's really, really great advice. Thank you so much for that. I think that will really help people. Um, so really need to capture that. I, I appreciate you sharing that. with. So Mel, where can people find you if they need some virtual assistance? <laughs> I'm on, um, they can find me on LinkedIn, I'm Mel Riley, um, counselling. They can find me on Twitter, I'm MJ Counselling on there. Um, they can go to my website, which is maljriley.co.uk. Um, all contact numbers for emails and phone numbers are on there for me. Brilliant. Fantastic. I will include all of those in the show notes. Uh, oh, thank for you, sure. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's, and thank you so much for sharing so openly your story with all the pain that you've gone through. Yeah. But I'm so pleased that you're coming out the other end or have come out the other end. And I know it's a constant work in progress. We're human beings. We are. Um, but that you've got a thriving kind of practice and that you're helping people, which is most yeah. important. Yeah, making a difference, which yeah. is which is kind of makes it's it's that circle, isn't it? What we put in the world comes back to us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, hopefully we'll see each other in person one day. I'd love that. <laughs> um, but for now, um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and uh, speak to you very soon. Thank you. Take care for now. Bye. Bye bye. Staying alive, UK. Share your story.